right, grab your Bibles, grab your cell phones, stand with me here as we read the Word of God. We're in Ruth. We've been in this for three previous weeks. This is the fourth week. We're going to conclude our story of God redeeming our everyday moments. And I got to tell you, God has a word for you today. Uh, my, my heart and anticipation, I believe God wants to do something significant in your heart and life if you'll open yourself to him. And so Ruth chapter 4, we're going to read verses 13 through 17 as a way of introduction, and then we'll jump into this. Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse number 13. And the Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when they came together, everyone said they came together? You know what that means. They had a little hanky-panky. We call it sex. They had sex, and then the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer. Everyone say a Redeemer. May he become famous in Israel, and he will be a comfort for your soul. He will be a comfort for your soul and a support of you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven son, sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child, laid her on her lap, and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This morning I want to talk to you on the topic of God restoring and redeeming our everyday lives. God restoring and redeeming our everyday lives. Uh, this morning I want to pray for the moms in the room. If you're a mom and your significant other, your spouse is with you today, your child is sitting next to you. If you're a, a mom here today and you have no one next to you, I want you to take your hand. And I'm going to believe as I pray today, I'm going to believe the Heavenly Father I want you to picture the Heavenly Father taking your hand. He cares for you today. If you're a single mom in the room today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that this word, this is a word for you today, that God will touch your life. Come on, folks. Let's pray for all the moms in the room today. Father, thank you today uh, for grace. Thank you for the power, the transforming power that we've already experienced in worship. Your presence is so wonderful. We love you. We love you. We're so grateful, Jesus, that your name is beautiful. It's the name above every other name. And Jesus, I pray today that you'll open hearts and you'll open eyes to see the reality and the truth that you truly are redeeming and restoring our everyday lives. God, I pray for every mom in the room. I, I pray, Lord, for those who, who are struggling today, those who maybe are sick in body, or Lord, those who are going through a difficult season. I pray for the single mom that's in the room today that's really wrestling, Lord, with trust and security and God knowing that you are good. I, I pray that you will give them grace today. God, I pray, Lord, for the mothers that are here, that you'll be with them and that your peace will, will be their portion today. And God, I speak a blessing. I speak the blessing of our Heavenly Father. I ask this now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to do a little recap. And uh, I'm going to try to go slow enough so the translators in the back can keep up with me, all right? So last week I understood I was, in, I was on 120,000 miles an hour speed. And so we're going to just recap. We're going to walk through the first three chapters here. And then I'm going to get to what the Lord, I believe, has for us today. Chapter 1, we start off and we see this guy by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, his name means God is my king. And as we walk through this story, one of the revelations, one of the things that we encountered is that every name, Every place, every name of a place has significance in the story. Elimelech, whose name means God is my king, really didn't serve God as his king, had a wife. Her name was Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasant one. 
they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. They sound like Klingon names, and their names weren't very good either. Their names were sickness and death. How would you like to name your kids sickness and death? And, but that was the names of their two sons, and they lived in a place called Bethel. Bethel was the place of bread, or the house of God's provision. It was in Canaan. The promised land. It was the place that God had for his children, and they were in the right place. But a famine came to the land because in this time of Elimelech and Naomi, it was a time of the judges. And the Bible says that in the time of the judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, it was like spring break, Mardi Gras, and prison break all wrapped up to one. I mean, they were just living, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. They were living for themselves. It was all about me. And that's the kind of lives they were living. And because of that, God's discipline was against his people. He loves them, but he's not going to let you just do whatever you, what you want and not think. There's consequences. There's always consequences to choice. And because of that, a famine came to the land. Now, Elimelech says, you know, hey, there's a famine. There's a town called Moab. The word Moab, or the name Moab, means the place not quite there. Or not just short of the promised land. That's literally what it means. It was 70 miles from the place of Bethel. And so he takes his family, which was a bad decision. He leaves the place of bread, the place of God's provision, even though there's a famine. He leaves God's house to go to a pagan city, go to a pagan community where people didn't worship God. They worshiped God by the name of Chemosh. Chemosh was a, was a fictitious God, a God that they made up, a God in their own image. Actually, he was in the shape of a fish. And so they worshiped this God and they did all kinds of crazy stuff with their kids and they were, just, they were wild. They were out of control. But this is where he went. And, and while he was there, his two sons married two women. One of the women's name was Ruth. The other one was named Orpah. Now, uh, Ruth's name is beautiful one. Orpah's name means one who turns off or one who goes away. And, and so we see there, there's a famine in the land. And in the midst of this famine, in the midst of them living in Moab, Elimelech dies. Elimelech wasn't a very good dad. He wasn't set up. He, he didn't have his wife set up. And shortly after he dies, his two sons die. So now we've got a, a husband that's dead, two sons that are dead, and three widowed women. Not good. This is not a good setup. This is bad. Very bad. Because widowed women in ancient times literally had no life. They had no hope. They had no way to provide for themselves because the men were the providers. And so they're in a foreign land. They're foreigners in another land. They're far away from home, 70 miles, which in ancient times was a pretty good distance. But they were far away from home, and they had no way to take care of themselves. And Naomi starts to get really bitter in her heart. She's really getting mad at God, but, but she's blaming God. Why me? Why me? Why lack? Why, don't, why th isn't life working out? Why did my husband die? Why did my sons die? Why do I got these two daughter-in-laws hanging out with me? But she hears that there's a revival back in Bethel. God's starting to move again. The people are turning back to God. God is moving down to city church, and people's lives are being changed, and there's healings, and lives are being restored. And so there's revival back in Bethel, which meant that there was bread back in the house of God. And so Naomi says, hey, you know what, guys? Let's, uh, Ruth and, and Orpah, let's go back to this place called Bethel. And so they start to make their way back to Bethel, and Ruth says, you know what? Uh, Naomi says, you know what, girls? I mean, there's no, this is no place for you. You're Moabite women. My son should have never married you. God doesn't want Jewish men to marry Moabite women. And you know, this is not going to go well for you. So you're going to be foreigners in a foreign place. And why don't you just go back? Orpah is persuaded to go back. And so she goes back. She's never to be heard from again until Oprah shows up in 1995. And, but, <laughs> just kidding. But, but Ruth says some of the most famous words ever spoken. 
I'll never leave you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you goest, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Whoa. I mean, come on. Here's a Moabite girl telling her mother-in-law. I mean, most girls can't even get set in the same room for longer than a couple hours with their mother-in-law. And she's saying, I'm loyal. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with your God. I'm going to stick with your people. Where you go, I'm going to go. So we see the end of this chapter, Naomi and Ruth show up back at Bethel, and the people come out to greet him, and, and, and Naomi's like, no way, get away, my name isn't Naomi, I'm not pleasant, I'm not happy, I'm ticked off, I'm mad at God, come on, why, 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 all the why questions, I don't go to church anymore, oh, you got to be kidding me, Joel Osteen's my pastor now, I'm not, you got to be kidding me, what do I want, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there, and so she's blaming God, she's mad. And the women come out to her and she says, no, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, bitter old woman. She's a bitter woman. She's a bitter person because of that bitterness and it's infecting every of her life. But there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope because there's a girl by the name of Ruth who hasn't given up on God. In every chapter, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, you'll see it starts off with a problem. And as it moves towards the chapter, you'll see the glimmer of hope towards a solution. Chapter 2 arrives. Ruth said, you know what, we're not just going to starve here to death. I know we're two widow women, we have no hope. But there's a law, there was a provision in the Old Testament that allowed people who were poor, allowed foreigners, allowed widows, and allowed orphan children to go out into the fields after the people were harvesting the food and glean. It was called gleaning. And it was an Old Testament provision, and it was basically uh, the Old Testament's way of, uh, of, of doing Social Security or handing out food stamps. They would take care of needy people. They would make sure that they had enough food. And so uh, Ruth says, you know, I'm going to go out and glean. And this is where it just so happens. Everyone say, it just so happens. It just so happens that she goes to a field by a guy by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz just so happens to be a relative to Naomi. Now, there's a strange provision, a strange, another kind of strange law. And if you know anything about the Bible, there's some things that are hard to understand. Come on, amen? I mean, there's like 633 laws, and you start to read them, you want to scratch your head because it's so far removed from our culture. But there's a strange provision in the Old Testament that says, listen, if a man dies and he has a wife, then, then there is a way for his property and his land and his family to be redeemed. A kinsman redeemer, a kinsman, the closest person to their kin, can actually redeem or buy back that land and actually buy the family. Family comes to boot. Free gift. Free gift, mother-in-law and a foreign woman by the name of Ruth, right? And so she, she happens to go to this field, and the field is owned by a guy by the name of Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz re is related to Elimelech. And it just so happens that Ruth picks his field. Of all the fields... Of all the miles and miles and miles of places that she could have gone, she just so happens to pick the field of Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz notices her. He notices this foreign woman, and she's just flat out outworking everybody else. Ruth is just flat out outworking. She's out gleaning everybody else. She's just a diligent, hard worker. He takes notice of her. They start to have communication. He realizes, hey, there's something. You know, she's single. I'm single. I don't know. My, I'm a little bit older. Now, this guy, Boaz, he's a, his name actually means swift one or sharp one or smart guy. He's kind of smart, but he's not that smart, as we'll see as we go through this story. But, but man, he, he's, got a, he's got a solid 401K. He's already paid cash for his house. He's driving some nice wheels. And he's single. 
It just so happens he's single. And, and for a 40 or 50-year-old man in Jewish culture to still be single, I mean, that was just highly unheard of. She's a young Moabite girl, and she just happens to be single. And so they start to have a communication. They start to talk. And he says, you know what? You're really sharp. I want you to go ahead and just stay and work with my workers on this land because there's a lot of bad dudes out there. And there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of creepy dudes out there. If they single, see a single girl working in a, a foreigner, working in another field, they're going to try to do some bad things to you. So why don't you stay with my girls? You'll have community. You'll have a small group. You guys will take care of one another, have Bible study, pray with each other, have a good life, right? Come on. Get in a small group. Get in a small group. You know, don't, don't sleep with the bad guys. Stay away from the bad guys. Bad boys aren't good. Bad boys, bad boys. You know what they're going to do. They're going to put them in jail. So we don't want to hang out with bad boys, girls. Amen? Amen. And so he takes care of her. He protects her, but he also gives her a lot of food. She goes back to Naomi. says, oh, my goodness, I got all this food. You won't believe it. I met this guy. It just so happens. He's single. He's rich. He's wealthy. He's not so good looking, but that's okay. I can overlook that. And Ruth says, hmm. Naomi says, hmm. Hmm, something might be up here. And we find ourselves in chapter 3. So chapter 3, so chapter 2, Ruth has the plot and the plan. Chapter 3, Naomi gets the plot and the plan. Little, uh, this one I call the risky faith plot and plan. And so chapter 3, she, Naomi says to Ruth, she says, you know what, you're a beautiful young lady. But listen, man, you smell bad. You stink. You haven't shaved your armpits in a long time. You need to get a new dress. You need to get some perfume on, take a shower, clean up a little bit. No guy's going to want you looking like that. This one, I want you to go down to the field. And after this guy, Boaz, has worked all day and had his fill of food and drank a bunch of wine and gets ready to go to sleep, I want you to sneak into his field. And when he lays down, I want you to go down to the end of his bed and pull over his cover. Everyone say risky. I mean, you, if you're reading this stuff, you're a Hebrew, you're reading it, this is starting to build. There's some romance here. There's some kind of something going on. And this girl, Ruth, this girl, Ruth, takes this thing to the next level. Because the moment she did that, what Naomi was saying, what I want you to do is I want you to ask this man, Boaz, to be our kinsman redeemer. And so she does exactly that, but she even takes it one step farther. She even goes beyond the instructions of her mother-in-law and when he wakes up, she says, will you marry me? That's what she says. Will you marry me? Now, pff, girls, listen. Single girls, a guy's worked all day. He's had a bunch of food, and he's had a little bit to drink. Don't go lay down at the foot of his bed at the end of the night, all right? Not a good thing, right? But this is a risky move. And the fact is, the fact is when he wakes up, Boaz is such an honorable man, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything sexually. But he recognizes that something might be happening here spiritually. He recognizes that there might be something happening. The hand of God might be at work. And he's amazed at this girl's nobility. He actually calls her a noble woman. It's the same word that's used in the book of Proverbs, for Proverbs 31, for the noble woman. He recognizes that there is something different about this Moabitess lady, this foreign girl. She's a very special woman. He says, you know what? Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be your kinsman redeemer. I'm going to buy the land. I'm going to get you as my wife, and I'm going to get a mother-in-law to boot. There you go. What a deal. What a deal. And so here we come to chapter 4. In chapter 4, chapter 4, we see God work and in such an incredible way. We see God restore, and we see God redeem, and 
we see God reward. And today, I, I want to introduce you to a very special couple. A couple that God has used in a very powerful way. And I, I've, known the, this, I've known the woman of this couple. I've known her for over 35 years. I've actually known her since I was six years of age, so I'm 53. So however long, it's 40-some years, right? 45 years? And I want you to welcome some very dear friends of ours, George and Debbie Flattery. Come on, can you give them a great big hand this morning? Oh, yeah. And my wife's coming out, too. There we go. <laughs> hey, buddy. Welcome in. Wait, just let me, let me introduce our better half here. Come on, everyone, give Pastor Laura Griffith again. I love you. <laughs> hey, guys, that was really great. And actually, um, we've done some connection over social media, which is the way everybody talks today, right? But I actually haven't seen you, Debbie, since I was probably 16 years of age. You left for Bible college at 18, and uh, I don't know if I cross, cross ever really passed again, but... Uh, George, I had the privilege of meeting you and talking to you different times at General Council, and we're in the same fellowship. We have, uh, our fellowship is the Assemblies of God. We have about 12,500 churches here in America, and about 35,000 churches or 40,000 churches around the world with about 35, 40 million congregants. So Assemblies of God is a very large fellowship, and George and Debbie's family um, has quite a bit of inf infamy in our church history, and so I thought we'd show a few pictures. I think the first picture we have here is Debbie of your family, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about this picture? This is my mother and my father, and they were Eugene's pastor uh, when he was growing up, and that's me. Wasn't I cute? Yeah. <laughs> and then my brother, Doug. Doug was always the good one. I was kind of the ornery one. But uh, we're both in ministry, and uh, we had a great family, had a great upbringing, uh, my, my parents being the pastors of our church, and God is so good. Amen. And uh, George, tell us, I think we've got a picture for your parents. They are. Those are my folks. Uh, they've been missionaries for 51 years, and they're retiring in two weeks. Uh, my wow. grandfather was a pioneer missionary in French West Africa, my grandparents. His name's George Flattery. My dad's name's George Flattery, a missionary, and I'm George Flattery. My son, what do you think we called our son? George Flattery. George Flattery. And this my guy's got a George Foreman complex yeah, yeah, here, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first, oh, yeah. our first granddaughter, her name is Georgia. There you go. So, man. We like I can't it. think of any other name. Uh, That's no. We're not smart enough. Hey, what is a, by the way, what is a missionary? What does a missionary do? Missionary is someone who's called to uh, go to another country uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to people of a different culture. And that's why missionaries can be here in Orlando because there are people of different cultures here in Orlando. Is somebody really who's called to also be an apostle or someone who starts churches, plants churches, connects people to Christ, and works with people. So you guys have done that, right? You guys have been, you have been ones who have been sent, and you've gone to, where did you guys go again? We went to, uh, we were missionaries in Paris back in the 1980s. We planted an inner city church uh, in Paris. We ministered to drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, people with AIDS. And uh, raised up a church, people such as Jackie was 22 years old, uh, dressed up as women in the shows in Paris, was a transvestite, had AIDS, came to Christ, uh, was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, by the way, I could barely speak French at that time, much less preach an entire sermon in French. I was trying to preach that Jesus is notre champion, he's our champion. And uh, for about 30 minutes, instead of preaching Jesus is notre champion, I preached Jesus is Notre champignon, which means for 30 minutes I preach that Jesus is our mushroom. Jesus is our mushroom. <laughs> Jesus is our mushroom. 
But uh, people, people still came to Christ because it's the Holy Spirit who brings people to repentance. Very cool. Amen. All right. And what's, and part of this, the cool part of the story, which I wanted to, uh, we call it drill down here in Florida, I want to drill down on a little bit, is both, both of your families had great, great success in ministry. And uh, George, your father was, had been a missionary for many years, but started a ministry called... Uh, Global University. Global. Yeah, and literally millions of people have come to Christ. Literally millions of people have come to Christ through that ministry. And now they're focusing in on training leadership around the world for ministry in the local church. Yeah, and then Debbie's father was our pastor. Let's talk a little bit about that. Debbie's, Debbie's father is still a legend in our home state. He was uh, uh, Pastor Bob Seitz. We never called him Bobby there. It was just Pastor Seitz or Brother Seitz. And uh, he had a great influence in my life. He had a great influence in my family. And my family, when Pastor Seitz's name was mentioned, it was like a holy name. It was very revered. And we were very honored to have your parents as our pastor. Um, tell me a little bit about your dad went on, became uh, pastor of pastors yeah. in our fellowship in the state of Arizona and then also in our, in our fellowship at large. But tell me a little bit about just growing up. You know, you had this name. Both of you guys had, I mean, I remember as a little child, you know, I remember your f family's name, but even George, I remember your father coming to our church and telling, telling missionary stories from around the world. But uh, tell me a little bit about growing up in a house for your, your name. Your name had some influence. And right. Tell me about that. Uh, my father was a great pastor. He really was. But sometimes they'd call him the little general behind his back. Yes. Because he, he was, was very, very strict and conservative. But I tell you what, he, people knew that he loved that he loved mm -hmm. them and that he was for them. Uh, so. I got to just say. Yeah. Her father terrorized me. <laughs> so when I was not serving the Lord, her father would stand at the door and he would greet every person coming in. And I would wait. Because they used to, old time, the guys used to have the chairs up on the platform. And I would wait for her father to go into the service and go up in his chair before I'd walk in. Because if I didn't, he grabbed me. He'd pull me in really close and he'd look me right in the eyes. <laughs> and one time he actually said, he said, Junior, when are you going to give your life back to Jesus? And that was, so I'd, I, well, I was Debbie, terrified. Debbie's dad used to pray about 30 hours a week. And about 29 of those hours were for your pastor. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> That's not too far off. That's pretty close. No. That's pretty close. No, but growing up in this family, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to live up to a certain reputation. But God knew who I was, and my parents allowed me to be who I was. And um, I know that I'm a daughter of the king, and so that's who I identify with. That's awesome. I'm not the pastor's daughter. I'm not the pastor's wife, but I am a the daughter of the king. Christ. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, George, you guys uh, providentially, somehow you're has crossed us about how you guys guys came to meet how that how that happened to you Lord? I was at the Assemblies of God seminary and Debbie was in Bible school and uh, she was 19 I am a little bit older than her 18, 18 oh when man. I met her we're going back to France I'm 60 years old and Debbie is 30 55 years old and uh, so she's much younger than me and when we met it was it was literally love at first sight for him <laughs> no, just kidding. Where did this he, come from? I <laughs> he was a great, you know, look at him. I mean, he was a good catch, but God knew, he knew that we needed each other. And I had been called into missions at Central Bible College. And so this is funny. 
I knew it was Providence because I told God I have A negative blood. And I said, God, I need a guy who has A negative blood. So I looked at his blood card and it was A negative. Oh, so come I knew. On. <laughs> yeah. No Providence there. It just so happened. That's why. I'm That's hearing the... several things today I've never heard before. There you go, so. man. That's good. <laughs> You know, faith is risky, and so you guys, have, you guys have answered the call to go. It and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about France, George? Tell us a little bit about you were sharing with us last service. Tell us a little uh, about France is some a of the challenges there. That is like a prodigal, and every one of us in this room knows of somebody who's a prodigal. They once served God, but they're no longer serving God. Up until 1900, more people were martyred for the faith in France than any other country in the world. But now, 40% of the country is atheistic. 0.06% of the country is born again, just 0.06%. Jesus is on the same level as Santa Claus. In other words, if I were to go down to the local McDonald's and try to convince an adult to believe in Santa Claus, that's the same kind of... Jesus is considered a myth in France. And so we're going to be planting churches and we're going to be working with the refugees coming into France from Syria. Awesome. Guys, we are really honored that you're with us today, and we want to say thank you. Come on, can you give these guys a great big hand? This morning, as we finish this story, I want you to see that God is a God of restoration. Naomi, it really, we, we call this the book of Ruth, but it's really the story of Naomi. It's how God, it's how God restores Naomi's broken life. Naomi experienced famine. She experienced funerals. She experienced lack of faith. And the whole time, the whole time, God was providentially working on her behalf. God restores and verse number 13, we see the restoration take place because what happens is there's a period of barrenness. When, when Ruth and Boaz come together, the reason they came together and the reason he didn't marry Naomi is because she was too old and she couldn't have kids. And so Boaz and Ruth coming together, being that daughter-in-law that she was, the prize, the prize for Naomi would be as if that they would have a son son that they could pass on the inheritance of Elimelech and her family, the land. Pass on the land. Hear me, the land was significant to Jewish people. To pass on the land and to pass on their spiritual heritage of their name. Because names matter. Names matter. Your name matters. And, and we see the story as God redeems, or God restores the Bible says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and they came together. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. Ten years she was married to Malon, Elimelech's son, and she never could conceive. She was barren, no fruit. The fact is today, when we are outside of faith, when we're not following God, when we are in a foreign land, when we're serving foreign gods, our life do not produce the fruit that God desires for us to produce. It can't. It's spiritually impossible. Spiritually, she was barren. Ten years, she was barren. The moment, here's the miracle. The moment she gets married to Boaz, that very moment, the moment they, that they have sexual intercourse, the very first time, she conceives. Boom. Very first time. Amazing. It's a miracle. God is at work. 
See, the providential hand of God was leading them. God had preserved this man, Boaz, and God had preserved this woman, Ruth. God had preserved them for this moment because God was restoring the life of Naomi. I want you to hear what the prophet Joel says. I will restore you to, the, to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be again put to shame. Come on. Ruth is no longer a widow, but now she's a wife. She's no longer barren. She's given birth to her firstborn son. She's no longer living in famine and abject poverty, but now she has all the wealth of Boaz's home. Her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law Naomi, her mother-in-law Naomi has a heart that was bitter because God continued, continued to work the night season when she was asleep. Hear me today. God works the night season of your life. When it seems dark, when you wonder where he is, when it doesn't make any sense, God providentially is working behind the scenes of your life. See, God does miracles in two ways in your life. First of all, God does miracles through the providential, supernatural leading of his spirit. God leads you. God's providential hand is at work. And God does miracles through the open hand of a supernatural provision. Two ways. Providentially, open-handed. And when God works open-handed, it's like you ask God for a piece of bread, and boom, the next thing you know, God supplied food for you. You ask God to give you a job, say, Lord, I need a job. The next thing you know, God's opened a door for you. You need a new church building, you begin to pray, God opens up a door supernaturally for you to buy a door. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. God works miraculously through the open hand, but he also works providentially through his silent hand. God is restoring Naomi. This whole thing is about restoration. This whole thing is about Naomi being restored. And you might be here today. And you might be far from God. Come on, you might be far from you. You today, you're just, you're not even sure this works. You're not even sure this is real. But I want you to know today that God wants to restore your life. I read a story this week about a man by the name of Steve McQueen. When I was a kid, Steve McQueen is called the Kula King. He was like the coolest dude on the planet. He was like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Will Smith, he was like all, he was like the coolest dude. He lived a life. He said, if there is a God, I am he. I mean, he, he was just arrogant and he had everything the world could offer. He didn't know he was going to die, but the last year of his life, he decided to take airplane lessons. And the guy that, that was his pilot was training him in a really cool, tricked-out plane. And for six months, every day, they met as he learned how to fly this plane. And one day, McQueen asked him, he said, why are you always at peace? I mean, why are you happy? Why are you content? I mean, man, my life, I got everything. I, I don't have that kind of peace. Why are you so content in life? And in that moment, that man opened up his heart and began to tell about a restorer. His name was Jesus. He invited him to church. He came to church. He sat in the balcony. And after about three months of going to church every Sunday, sat in the balcony, he gave his life to Christ. It was shortly thereafter that he was diagnosed with cancer. And he died within nine months of that time. For the last nine months, a year of his life, that, that man, Stephen McQueen, had been one of the most famous men of the world, served Jesus as a fully devoted follower of Christ. Amazing. 
That's what restoration does. And see, Naomi was restored because of a woman and a man who were rewarded for their faith. Naomi, Naomi had a daughter-in-law named Ruth, the beautiful one. Her faith is so remarkable. It's why the book is named after her. She, come on, she was a foreigner. She, she didn't grow up where Jesus was worshipped. She was from France, where Jesus is like Santa Claus, a myth. Come on. Somehow, it's revelation. It's revelation of God becomes real to her. She completely puts her faith in him. She completely puts her trust. And because of her faith, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And you know what faith is? Faith always has an action. She was a woman of action. I call it works. You can have faith but not have works. And guess what? It means nothing to God. Your faith is always demonstrated. The work of God's grace is always demonstrated by the way you live. And she lived it out. She lived out her faith. She put her trust and confidence completely in God. She trusted in, she trusted in the word of God. Come on, when she honored this woman, Naomi, she was honoring. It wasn't even her real mother. It was her mother-in-law. And the Bible says to honor your mother and father all the days of your life so that it go, may, may go well with you. The New Testament says it's the first promise with a command. It's one of the big ten. She honored this woman, Naomi, even when she didn't deserve it. This man, Boaz, was a noble man, a righteous man. He was a man who believed the word of God. He trusted the providence of God. He, he so much believed so that if you read the rest of this chapter, you can read it later, but you'll see that he was willing to fight. He was willing to fight. He was willing to, to take some risk of his own to buy the land that Naomi owned so that he could marry Ruth. God rewarded them for the faith. The Bible says that God will reward those who diligently seek Him. And because of the faith of Ruth and this man Boaz, Naomi got their downstream. And you know what that's called? Grace. Man, I don't deserve it today. Uh, someone came up to the church this week and they talked to Pastor Joe. They, they were driving by the church and they saw the sign and pulled in and they, they said, you know, I don't know if I believe in God. I got some questions. I got some questions. And so immediately we sent him over. Pastor Glenn wasn't in, so we sent him over to Pastor Joe and Pastor Joe sat down with this young lady and began to talk to her about God. And my wife was telling about the story. And so when I came into the office later on this, that afternoon, I said, hey, Pastor Joe, I, I need to talk to you. I got some questions about God. <laughs> my question about God is why do you love me? I don't know about you, but I know me. Why does he love me? You know what that's called? It's called grace. It's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what it's called. God rewarded Naomi. God restored her life because two people had faith who didn't quit, who didn't give up. And some of you in this room today, you're Booth and, and you're Boaz and Ruth. You're standing for others. You're believing, you're praying, you're a parent. You have a child who's gone far from God. You got a parent who's never known the Lord. You got a neighbor or friend that you really care about and you're praying for them. Keep praying, don't quit. And then ultimately, God's the great redeemer. This whole thing, to, be, to redeem, to make payment for something. 
something that someone didn't deserve was taking place by Boaz. Boaz became the kinsman redeemer. But if you actually read the story, it wasn't Boaz, it was his son who would become the kinsman redeemer. His son was named Obed. Obed, his name was significant to the children of Israel because Obed, he would become the father of a man by the name of Jesse. And Jesse would become the father of a man by the name of David. And David would become the greatest king. The reason that they tell this story of this little boy being born, this redeemer, the actual redeemer, the reason they tell this story is because this boy would become the grandfather to the greatest king that the Israel ever had. And then if you follow down eight generations from there, the king of kings was born. Come on, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. And God, in spite of a woman who didn't believe, who couldn't see it, God used her and used her family to bring Boaz and Ruth together to have a child. And that's why your life is important, because you don't know the future. You don't know what God's going to do in your life. You don't know who God's going to lead you to. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. You don't know the significance. You really don't. My mother never saw this. My mother never saw this. Not even close. My father never saw this. But God saw this. God saw this. You know what's really cool in this story? That when you read the genealogies of Jesus, and I... Most of the time when I get to the genealogies in the Bible and they have lists of names, I just, the, the clean, you got clean places in your Bible? You know what I'm talking about? You just like go over it real quick, right? Like you're not reading all, you start reading through the gene, and every single name was significant because they're building a case, a case for the Messiah. Because in Jesus' genealogy, there's four women. There's four women who were all single. There's four women Three of them had very questionable, very questionable character. Two of them were prostitutes. Tamar dressed herself up like a prostitute so that she could carry on the seed of the family that had been promised to her. A woman by the name of Rahab, who was a Canaanite, who lived in a city called Jericho, was not, didn't just dress up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. But the Bible rewarded her because she was a, became a woman of faith. This woman, Ruth, foreigner, Moab. You know what? I want you to hear this today. God cares about the foreigner. Those who are far from him. God cares today about your life. God cares so much that he allowed these three women and then Mary. In the Jewish culture today, Mary is still considered the woman who had a child illegitimately. And in that genealogy tells us today how much God really loves the world. You see, because, because of Boaz and because of Ruth, a Redeemer would come. And God would say this about his Redeemer. For I so love the world that I gave my only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Come on. God is restoring. God is rewarding. And he's redeeming our everyday moments. And I want you to close your eyes. And you're here today. And the worship team is going to lead us in the song in just a moment. But you're here today. God hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly where you're at. 
God sees your, your suffering, your pain, your loss, your hurt. He sees everything about your life. He cares today. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're a root, man, and you stayed strong. Sir, you're a Boaz and you've never left the faith. You've been a loyal, good man. And I, I commend you today for that. I commend you today to keep praying, keep standing in the gap. But you're here today, man. You've been like Naomi. You're struggling today. Man, so much has happened. It doesn't make sense. You say, God, where are you in this? I believe in this moment, God's going to reveal His grace to you. The grace that only comes through His Son, Jesus. He loves you today. Child, He's called you by name. You are His. Allow God to come into your life. Maybe you're a foreigner. Maybe you don't know Christ. Spiritually speaking, you're far from Him. Today's your day. Today's your day to let God become your God. Where He leads you, you will go. What He asks you to do, you say, God, I'm willing to do it. Today's your day. I want you to stand with me as the worship team begins to lead this song. And right where you're standing, in your heart, or verbally out loud, I want you to begin to make this declaration. God, you are my God. God, I need you today to restore. God, I need you to redeem my life.